And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics Dedicated Blue Jackets Podcast, Playoff Edition. Aaron Portsine here in Tampa, Florida, joined by Allison Lucan. Hello. And Thomas Reed. Hello. Blue Jackets with that uh, unbelievable 4-3 to three come from behind win on Wednesday. They're up one nothing in the series. Game 2 is tonight from Tampa. Wow, what a game Game 1 was. Um, I mean, we've seen it before in the playoffs, that game against Pittsburgh back in, in the 2017 playoffs, but this one, boy, this, this just came out of nowhere after that first period. Um, I want to go around the horn here. Um, I know what my answer is. I'm hoping neither one of you take it, but I fear you will. What surprised you most about the way the Blue Jackets could gather themselves after that first period? They're down three to nothing. Um, they had <clears throat> a sh- shaky early turnover by, by Seth Jones. Bob wasn't great. They gave up a, a deflected 3-0 goal, and it, boy, it, it looked like the series that everybody kind of expected it to look. And then the Blue Jackets come off the mat big time uh, after the first period, and really, I thought they flipped the tables by the end of that game. Tampa looked uh, almost as shaky and overwhelmed as Columbus did at the start of that game. Uh, Seth Jones, who has the turnover early, has the game winner late, um, redemption in the in the span of one game, and the Blue Jackets lead one nothing. But how did they get off the mat after that first period? Allison, your thoughts? What surprised you most? 
I mean, I, I, I would imagine all of us will touch on this. I know Tom said a lot about it after the game as well. But quite frankly, I did not expect Bobrovsky to regather himself um, the way he did. I think that, to your point, with the way that Tampa was playing, even to start the second, if Bob doesn't make those big saves early, yep. I think that the the cavern of confidence is just too vastly deep to fill. Um, and I think that no one would probably ever admit this, but everyone knows there's an eye to play in net. And when that started to come back around, the team felt more free to play. Um, and, and Bobrovsky kept them in it. I mean, this was in our notes, but he erased a double digit negative in terms of what he was expected to do in net by the end of the second period. That's crazy. I, it was shocking what he did. And honestly, I think it was a lot of mental work, which makes it even more impressive to me. Uh, I mean, yeah. Tom, I mean, she, used, uh-huh. she used the phrase cavern of confidence. There's no way you can match that. Uh, no, I, no, I don't. I mean, that's, that's the obvious answer. It was Bob. It was the... Yeah. It was the save on the on the on the PK breakdown right at the beginning off Kucherov. Uh, they got a little lucky about five seconds later when Kucherov rings one off the post, right. and then the, the huge save on Kalorn because that one was in some ways because they had started to get going. They started to uh, the, you could start their game was starting to come a little bit, and then well, there's Kalorn right in front of the net, and Bob mm-hmm. makes just an unbelievable save, uh, like six and a half minutes into the period. I will go with a different answer though to try to be something. I am surprised how badly, and you kind of described it, Aaron, that Tampa Bay folded. This is not a uh, new playoff team. This is a team that was in the Stanley Cup Finals in 2015 and was one game away from going to the finals last year. I think that they – I don't think they took their foot off the gas. I think what they did was they got greedy. They tried to go for four and five early in that period, and that's what cost them. The the 3-1 goal is just a – Really bad mistake, I think, by Ryan McDonough, yep. which is you would never. I mean, you're up three nothing, and you're completely controlling the game. Why take a risk to give a team a chance to do that? And then you just saw. I think Victor Hedman. Mm. You know, Ooh. if I'm a Tampa Bay fan, I, I'm hoping that that's just ring rust from not having played. He was, he was not good. Let's just leave it at that. And we saw Savvy walk around him. So I'll say the biggest thing that surprised me was the lack of poise uh, the Lightning showed once the Blue Jackets got back into the game on the Felino goal. Yeah, I think the Blue Jackets figured out in this game that they can play with these guys. Um, I, I, you know, it, it's, there's a long, long, long way to go. But I'll say this, when the, when the second period dawned, I, I made a mental note there sitting in the, in the press box. Um, be looking. See which goaltender comes through the bench here first to take the ice in the second period. Because I'm of a mind, like that second goal by Bobrovsky is, is, you can't have that one. That's a bad, bad goal. And there were like three other instances in that first period where, where it lo- looked shaky, where he, and, and I, I'm sitting up there thinking, I wonder, because Tortorella's talked about this before, going to Corpus how he considered it in playoffs past. You just wonder, like the leash, where is it? How long is it? How long can it be? And I'm thinking, man, they might just say, enough we're not going down this road anymore and Bobrovsky comes out I'm like oh boy and like Allison said to at that point to salvage that game into a good 
game by the goaltender. He needed to be incredible the rest of the way, and he was right from the start of the second period. So see where it goes uh, tonight. Tom, you touched on this a little bit, uh, how he walked around Norris Trophy winner Victor Hedman. David Savard has been, we all thought we knew this guy. Um, he has been a revelation for this team in, in the last couple of months. I went back and looked at the numbers and, and you know, you're writing a feature story about someone. You're thinking, all right, how can I present these numbers that are accurate, but also strengthen the point I'm trying to make with the story? And I went, oh, my God, like, like there's no manipulation. There's no <laughs> there's no uh, you don't need to set any parameters here that strengthen your point. You go back to like mid-January, and he's got six goals. The rest of the Blue Jackets defense combined has seven. Uh, he's top 20 in the league since the middle of January in goal scoring. None of them bigger than that. A couple of them really, really big, uh, but none of them bigger than the goal uh, two nights ago where he gathers the puck in the neutral zone with speed. And, uh, speed, not something you often associate with, with David Savard. And he dangles his way around Victor Hedman, spins, <laughs> spins him in circles, and then scores an unreal goal on Vasilevsky, a great goaltender. Uh, that that certainly got the bench fired up. That that I think even more than Felino's goal fueled the the comeback. Next thing you know, the Blue Jackets are in that game and on top of that game. David Savard in the last uh, few weeks has shown me something different. A part of his game that I thought maybe would never surface at the NHL level. Um, Tom, your thoughts on this this stay at home defenseman who's not exactly been staying at home much lately? No, he's he's you 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 put it, you, you put it well. I mean, it's just uh, to me he's. I'm not sure who's been a better defenseman in the league in the last couple months than Savard. I mean, there obviously are, but I don't know how many there are. And it is just it is odd this late into a, in a player's career. And if you remember, I mean, when he came into the league, this was kind of uh, he was kind of billed as kind of an offensive defenseman, kind of a guy that could run the power play, and. Uh, you know, Savard, like a lot of players uh, in the NHL, as Ken Hitchcock used to say, have to reinvent themselves once they get once they get to the league, because that that skill or that talent doesn't translate uh, to the NHL level. And Savard did kind of reinvent himself, but you know, all along he also had to fight like weight issues. Uh, there were some, you know, there were some some thoughts that he was not going to be with this organization if he did not get his conditioning level. Uh, back to where it needed to be so for him to this you know kind of late in his career rediscover this part of his game is is, is pretty terrific for the uh, for the Blue Jackets organization because he's been really good uh, for really you know he was the only defenseman playing really well when they were struggling out, out, out coming out of the trade deadline so this he's been good for a while now as you'd mentioned in your story. Yeah, and and this I think you know we've talked about how important Dean Kukin's been with Ryan Murray out, uh, but having another offensive weapon back there, uh, Jones, Wierenski, of course, score goal. You go, hey, they scored another goal. That's what they do. But to have another guy back there who can exploit a defense when it's on its heels, as we saw the other night, has just I think been really really important to these guys. Allison, David Savard, did you ever think you would see this aspect of his you know, I saw him in the minors. Let me let me ask you a question and then back away from it. <laughs> I saw him in the minors. He put up a ton of points on the power play, a, a really good passer, big shot from the point. 
But even in those games I, I watched with him in, in Moncton and in, in uh, the AHL, you never saw him weave through people and carry the puck into areas and try to score with it. Did you ever think you'd see this part of his game, Allison? No. I mean, I think that, and as Tom said, for folks who don't remember, I mean, David Savard was up and down between the AHL and the NHL even. Um, I remember writing on him, you know, after I think it was John Davidson, wasn't it? Had to go down to, to Springfield and talk to him or someone, one of the big guys in the front office to kind of say, dude, this is your last chance to get it together. Um, right. But it, it, it does beg the question. And from a numbers perspective, you know, Jack Johnson had been with the organization for so long. And that pairing was the usual pairing, uh, Savard and Johnson. And they'd go up and they'd go down in terms of the underlying numbers. And we could never quite figure out what was happening there. And I don't wonder if there's something to the way that Savard plays. Um, I'm digging into this now, actually, because some of the newer measures that try and encapsulate a player in one measure, um, David Savard is like fifth in the league in terms of defensemen, in terms of goals above replacement um, and wins above replacement. Now, the numbers are new, so that doesn't mean they're 100% right, but clearly something is going on with how he's playing. Um, we see it offensively, but there, there is definitely something underlying how he's playing right now that's making him this good. Yeah, and Brad Shaw was saying yesterday that he moves better than he looks like he moves, yeah. if that makes sense. <laughs> it's an interesting observation, uh, but it does take the, the bigger guys, the thicker guys, a little bit longer to get up to speed than it does, say, a new Navarro. Um, but I, and I, I wonder too. I wonder too if, if he has trust in Nudavara, who's a very good skater, that if he does yeah. go up the ice, that Nudavara can cover uh, for him. Because you you would think it would be just the opposite, right? You'd think Nudavara would be the one that was jumping into plays. Right. And I and obviously the overlying thing here is 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 they play for a coach that loves this. This is this is what he wants. Right. He wants guys taking chances. I mean, every time we hear him, he's like. Don't be afraid to make a mistake. And he seems to have, like, he, I think he has developed the trust in Nudavara. Don't forget, they were they were changing pairs there yep. for a while when Ryan Murray went out. And I think that it's, it's, it's taken some time. And if you go back, I think this is really where his goal scoring, I don't know, you said six, Aaron, since when, January? Uh, I think it's January 12th, yeah. All right, so that was like another month before Murray went out, but he's, I mean, he seems like he's, a lot of them have been in the last month and a half, and I just wonder yeah. if he's got, he's got a lot more comfort with Nudavara, and just they're they're they complement each other pretty well right now. I mean, I mean, let's be honest. A couple of years ago, who could have said that? Oh yeah, Marcus Nudavara is going to be a top four guy. Right. I mean. And that, that's a that's a story in itself, but uh, right. yeah, it's it's a very interesting development. Yeah, um, almost the flip side of this, a, a player who's just emerging. Uh, period. He's played three NHL games now. One of them, the playoffs. Tonight, he will have played half of his NHL games in the playoffs. Alexander Texier, what a revelation! Uh, a revelation this kid has been. Um, I mean, this is classic Tortorella to put a guy in time. You wrote an, an interesting piece about that. He's done this before. He loves doing this. But this kid, um, I, he's not, I don't think Tortorella is forcing the issue here. This kid looks really, really 
comfortable, um, not overwhelmed at all in any way. And, and my eyes almost fell out of my head when they score four to three. First of all, I loved the way Nick Felino went right out to the middle of the ice and, and got down in the crouch like, let's go, drop the puck. Um, enough of the celebration of four to three. What surprised me most is that Alexander Texier skates onto the ice to uh, to assume his position next to Mr. Felino on his line. Now, that's the line he's played on all night, but you're going, wait a minute, you're putting the 19-year-old kid out here to protect a 4-3 lead against this behemoth of an opponent? Yes. And not only did he do it then, he did it one more time, another shift later in the game. Um, this, kid, this kid has scored a goal. This kid has not looked out of place at all. Allison. Alexander Texier, are you as surprised as I am that this kid is is uh, not just found a spot in the lineup, but doesn't seem to be in all of it at all? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I am, to answer the question. I think it helps that we've um, found out that he's rooming um, with Pierre-Luc Dubois, um, not a fellow countryman, but, you know, they have the, the, a little bit of French connection there that probably helps making him feel a little more comfortable. Um, we talked before about how it's maybe just the blind naivete but I think now what we're seeing is his ability to play the way that Torts wants him to play I mean we I forget which day it was Porty down there but um, when the audio came out from Tortorella he was talking about how Tessier was the player who was playing as the best against the boards and how many of those Tampa Bay goals I mean the one where Panarin loses a board battle turns into a goal I mean the two of those first three goals come off poor board battles by the Jackets and here's this kid coming in and saying, I'm going to grind and I'm going to put that grind under my skill. Um, and that, I think, even more so than the confidence offensively, that's what's really driving his position in the lineup from what Torts is saying and from what we see. It's incredible. Uh, Tom, <sighs> I don't think you can watch this Blue Jackets team in the last three games and say, boy, they miss Alexander Winberg. Can you? This, this kid has really made his presence felt. Yeah, and I think uh, you know what I'd love for you to do, Porty. We'll put you on a little, uh, little, little mission here. I want you to get his height and weight because <laughs> there's no way what he's listed in the, he has got to be. Well, they list him like it's six foot, one hundred and eighty pounds, or I don't know what. He is bigger. He is bigger than they, they are listing him for sure. Porty, that won't be and awkward he, at all. Just ask him his he, height and weight. Just uh, someone needs to because now ask Nelson. Nelson will know. Now, uh, because this kid, he looks, I mean, obviously kids grow up. We, I think he was a, wasn't he a late 17 year old when he was drafted? Yes. So obviously they grow up, but he is, I think he's still listed at the same thing he was drafted as. And there's no way Allison's right. I mean, he's played, he's played strong along the boards. He, again, what they love about the kid is that he's always thinking, what am I supposed to do next? In all three zones. All right, what, what's my next job here? Go from this to this. He doesn't look like that 18-year-old that's like looking around, what am I supposed to do on this play? He looks like he knows exactly what's going on in the play. You know, he's had a couple that went off the stick, this and that. But, no, he looks really good. He, In fact, he had a, a, a really nice – didn't he? He picked off a pass either in the neutral zone and came in. I think he shot wide uh, when they were starting to make their comeback. So, yeah, he's been really good. Yeah, and I, I think the thing that surprised me most about the game on uh, Wednesday, and he cleaned this up a little bit from the last two games of the season, because there were moments where you'd see him skate into three guys and try to make 
moves that probably worked in Finland. Um, and there's no way he can do any of that stuff in in the Stanley Cup playoffs, especially against the Lightning. So I, I didn't see as much um, I didn't see as much risk taking with the puck by him, which I think is a really good thing. But boy, he he just seems like he is right into the flow of things, and it looks like he can be a difference maker as he continues uh, to adjust. So something to watch there. Um, wow. I think one thing we know for sure, if you follow this game long enough, and the playoffs especially, I think the Blue Jackets can expect a, a holy reign of hell tonight from Tampa Bay. <laughs> yes. Uh, because they do not want to leave uh, the uh, Gulf side of Florida down 2-0. Um, what are your expectations for this evening? And is this already a good start to the playoffs for the Blue Jackets, no matter what happens tonight? Who wants that one? Tom, go ahead. Uh, well, to, to answer your last question, of course it's a good start. Uh, but, you know, we, we probably said the same thing before game two last year with Washington. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, you would expect Tampa to be um, – I mean, how, how could they start faster than they started the last game, right? So it's usually the guy going to survive that first ten minutes. Well, they didn't do a very good job of that uh, the other day. I just think no. that Tampa will be – I think they'll be more engaged for 60 minutes than they were uh, more. Um, maybe engaged isn't the right word. I just think that they, you, you think that they will steady themselves and I read, you know, just steal themselves and be ready. But again, I go back to Victor Hedman. He's got to be better than he was the other day. Uh, I mean, he is one of their two or three big best players, obviously their best defenseman. And uh, if, if there's something wrong with him, if, if he's, not anywhere close to 100%, which he did not look the other night. You know, that's a obviously those storylines or injuries are always huge storylines in the playoffs. So, right now, I'm sure the word you're going to hear from John Tortorella today is greedy. Let's get greedy. Let's try to get this game. We did it last year. It's if this team is a little, if this opponent's a little bit on edge. And boy, that building did not, Tortorella, you were there. So, it's really hard on television. They did not seem to, the, the, the fans seem to be as much stunned and not really getting behind the team when they as as the blue jackets kept coming back that building got really quiet did it not yeah well i think they're kind of i don't think it's as extreme certainly as the feeling is with was with washington but they're starting to sort of mold themselves or cast themselves in that light if you will of the team that's been a postseason dis disappointment uh, uh, i don't see that I, I don't know about that well, I, 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 you know, this group's been together a bit now. Yeah, I, I just think that they've, I mean, they've been to the finals. They've been, last year, they got beat by Washington in game seven that would have sent them back to the finals. I, I yes. don't think that, I don't think that's an issue. I really don't. I, I, I think that's, their problems has been more of an injuries than well, this. I, but, if, but, but, it, it, but to your point, if they lose this series, then that's very fair. But well, I, I, don't, yeah. I don't think people think of them as chokers. No, but I, I think I can tell you from the, the talking to the people down here, Lightning fan, people clad in, in the uh, Bolts gear, from it, they they are very much of a mind that oh god, every year in the playoffs they do this, and it's almost like uh, I don't want to say here we go again, but there there is the frustration. I think they were I think they were quiet because they were shocked, um, yeah. much like the the players appeared to be. Place was rocking early on, and they wanted blood at 3-0, uh, 
And then it just kind of, there was a stunned silence and even boos, which may lend to my point. There were boos as they went off the ice at the end of the game, uh, first game of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, that was surprising to me. But, I, yeah, I do. I do think they are a little bit on edge here. Uh, I, I think what's interesting to me here, and we'll see as this series plays out, but I think there is a, for one team, the Lightning, there is an obligation to live up to their record. And for the I think there is an obligation or at least a strong desire to prove that their record was was not representative of who they are. Because I think everyone believes that this Blue Jackets team is certainly better than an eighth seed, that they that this should not be their placement, um, but this is what they've earned by their play results this year. Um, but they, they certainly didn't look like a team uh, that was overmatched by Tampa in the finally, final two periods, but we'll get a better read on that tonight. Um, Allison, th- th- no matter what happens tonight, this is the Blue Jackets are off to a fine start in this playoffs. Right? If, to come home 1-1 against this, this group should be seen as a success. Oh, absolutely. I was I was laughing with some folks about this who were, you know, talking about what might happen tonight. And I said, listen, if Wednesday morning I said the Jackets are going to come home from Tampa 1-1, you would have been thrilled. Um, yeah. and, and I think you're spot on. I think that they're going to see a really fired up and engaged Tampa Bay team. But it, listen, of course the win matters. I'm not saying it doesn't. But what might matter almost as much, if not more, is how they won to come back, if they, if they had lost that game, the Jackets, that is, after going down 3 nothing in the first period, if they had lost that game, I think this series would be what all the pundits have been saying it would be. Um, but to fight and come back, honestly, if they lose this game again, not ideal, but I think you can weather that mentally just as much as anything else because of what you did in game one. And to me, that's, that's a massive part of that game one win. Yeah. And and to a point we made earlier, the key to this series now may, of course, is going to be the Blue Jackets' ability to win at home. Absolutely. To give the locals something to smile about. Some, they did not do that last year. And that that's how you waste a 2-0 lead on the road. Um, so, yeah. Tonight, feel of a little crazy, um, but to point the blue jackets the challenge before them is to become greedy tonight and to go to go get it anything else you guys want to talk about we've touched on a lot of things here um i just throw out um because i know we had a ton of content uh right before all the games on wednesday is that uh one little thing we thought that the jackets might be able to exploit was their penalty kill and by yeah. gosh they did so <laughs> um that shorty was something that's one thing that was one advantage that the jackets had on this tampa bay team is that they had a crazy amount of offense against this Tampa Bay power play relative to the rest of their season. And that was pretty cool. We have a little piece up on the site if, if you want to read more. Nice. Um, anything? Nope. Wow. All has been said. I'll add this. I think a the five straight games, perhaps, yes, five straight games now, uh, the Blue Jackets have trailed at least three to nothing against the Lightning. So if they want to change anything about the momentum of a game, that's where you start. Uh, they have been; they were able to dig out of that hole on game one. Uh, previously, they had not been able to, but that's that is pretty incredible. Five games in a row, they've been down at least three nothing to this team. Um, so you, you you talk about rattling their confidence. Certainly, scoring the first goal tonight could go a long way 
uh, toward that as well. So Blue Jackets Lightning game two tonight in Tampa Bay. Game three back home in Columbus on Sunday. Uh, we'll talk to you after those games, uh, but also on a podcast the next Tuesday. And so thanks for listening to us. Thanks for watching us. Thanks for reading us. And we will talk to you soon. Enjoy the games tonight.